How many of you remember when everything changed? If you don't remember when everything changed, you might want to revisit what you think you did. Because I'm telling you, everything changed. If you want to turn this evening in your Bibles, be in the book of Acts chapter 8. We'll continue just a Bible study as we look in here into the Word of God. Acts chapter 8, I know that's a little bit of a reverse for us. I know we've already been into Acts chapter 9. We've already been over to where... And Saul was on the road to Damascus and met the Lord Jesus and became the Apostle Paul. But we're going to back back up because I want to look at the life of Philip here a little bit. And I'll go ahead and tell you, I had an option. and Y'all not going to believe which one I took. I had the choice to be relatively short and study the first half and pick up the other half next week. Or I had the option to be a little bit long and cover it all tonight. And everybody's going, yeah, I've met you before. We're going to be here a long time. But school just started, and, and to be respectful of time, and I'll be honest, sometimes information overload is not as good as just taking a part of a story. So I'm praying that God would take the first part of this story as we look at the life of Philip, and that God would do something in our life, that God would do something to change you and I here this evening. Acts chapter 8, verse number 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Father God, I pray you'd take this tonight, God, as we look through it. Lord, I pray that you would show us something, God, within us, Father, that would help us to be a more usable vessel. God, I thank you for the story of a man like Philip. I thank you for the strength of this man called Philip, God. I thank you that he was obedient and he did what you told him to do, God. And I pray tonight... You'd help us to see, God, that we have the same call on our life, Father. And if we would go into places and do the things that you told us to do, God, that there's no limits to the things that you could do through an obedient people, God. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask you to be in the midst of this place tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I heard a preacher tell a story one time. He's talking about sometimes we, we need things, sometimes we want things, we think we need them, think we have to have them. But he said that when he was growing up, he said he was only five years old and his mom and dad got a divorce. And he said, I wasn't old enough to really understand what was going on between my mom and dad. I wasn't old enough to kind of get a grip on what was happening there. He said, one thing that I did know is that my little small world was changing, and it was changing fast. He said he grew up living with his mom, and in summer times he would go and and stay with his dad, he said, but it didn't take long until I became the son that every mom prays that she never has. Mom, y'all didn't get that, did you? He said, it didn't take long till I became the son that every mom prays that she never has. He said, I stayed in trouble at school, always acting out, always striving for attention, always had to be the life of the party, always had to be the one causing problems, trying to get attention any way that I could. He said, the moment that changed my life forever was one day when I thought I had to have something, and my mom wouldn't get me what I wanted. He said, I always knew my mom and dad loved me. That's one thing that never changed. And he said, because they loved me and because of the way things were going on, and in between the two, I seemed to get everything that I wanted. If I was here, each one always wanted to try to almost kind of outdo the other one. So therefore, I wasn't used to being told no. And one day my mom said no, and we got in an argument. And he said, I, I caused my mom to snatch me up and tear my backside up. 
I think he called it a thrashing was the word that he used when he was telling the story. But he said it was, it was enough that my mom hurt her arm while um, distributing the rod of correction. And he said while my mom was, was holding her arm, he said much to my mom's surprise, he said, I said, thank you, Mom. I needed that. He said, for a long time in my life, I wanted stuff, and I thought I knew what I wanted. He said, but what I really needed was for somebody to correct me. What I really needed was for somebody to give me some discipline. He said, she finally did what I actually needed. He said, I'm a much better person today because of it. Sometimes what we think we want, that's not always what we need. I um, am guilty as charged in this, but what we think we want is more money. But sometimes what we need is just learn how to live on a budget. What we think we want is we just want to spend, but what we really need is to learn how to save some stuff. We may think we want more time for ourselves, but what we really need is to give more time to trying to help others. We think we need things, but sometimes it's easy to confuse perceived needs with genuine needs. When Jesus, we looked at about three weeks ago, we talked about when he fed the 5,000 at Bethsaida over on the side, 5,000 men plus women and children. And I know we looked at that story a good bit that morning. But that morning, Jesus gave them, he, he said that they needed something unless they faint along the way. They needed a little something, but they had in their mind what they thought they needed. If you remember, we looked at how Jesus went along to pray, sent the disciples, and y'all know the storm, they're walking on the sea, all that happened that night, but they went over to Capernaum to the other side, and the Bible says that when they found them missing, that some of the people took boats, and they went over, and they got over. But Jesus said, you didn't come over here to see me. You didn't come over here for a miracle. If you remember, I told you that Sunday morning, Jesus told them, you just came over here because you want another fish sandwich. You just want what you had last night, but that's not really what you need. As a matter of fact, we were in John chapter 6. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Physical food is important, but that's not what we need the most. Jesus on the other side, he taught them what you need is me. On that morning, we looked at he is the bread of life. And he said, I can give you what you need because I am the bread of life. And it's way more than just physical bread. Well, here in Acts chapter 8, we see how Jesus meets the needs of some people. Some of it is obvious. Some of it is not so obvious. What we see here in the beginning is that before Saul became the Apostle Paul, before that road to Damascus experience, we saw in chapter 7 how he held the coats of men as they put Stephen to death, how they stoned Stephen. And the reason that Stephen was stoned because he was one of the first deacons of the church. He was a man of faith. He was a man that trusted Jesus Christ, a man that preached the gospel and stood firm on the faith. And he was stoned to death for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Stephen was the first person that we know of that was ever killed for being a Christian. And Saul was the one that held the coats. 
Now, it says that Saul went on, he continued on his journey, and that he persecuted the church, that he held men and women. He was, he was beating men and women. He was arresting them, and he was casting them into prison, and he was bringing all these hard things about them for the sole reason that they were a Christian. That's terrible, isn't it? I mean, that's awful. The, the only reason that he was beating these people and doing the things he was doing was because they were Christians. So God couldn't have been in that, right? We don't find God using Saul until he becomes the Apostle Paul. There's no way that persecuting the church could have been within the will of God, could it? Well, think about the irony of it. The more he persecuted the church, the faster the gospel spread. It's right there in the text. As for Saul in verse number 3, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word. So the more Saul sought after them, the more scattered they became. Now they didn't stop being Christians. They didn't stop preaching the gospel. They didn't stop teaching the word. They just began teaching it in different places. They were just running. It's kind of like the Bible uses the illustration of wheat a lot. Even Jesus said, if a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abideth alone. But if it dies, it bringeth forth much fruit. So if we take that example and we take the wheat and you've got a stalk of wheat, it has a cluster of seed heads on the top, right? And as those seed heads fall, they germinate into the ground and they recreate themselves, correct? Kind of like what a Christian is supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be budding out, full of the Holy Spirit, and we're supposed to recreate ourselves. We're supposed to be telling others about Jesus Christ, about the blood that saves, about the grace that keeps on giving, about salvation for sinners through the blood of Jesus Christ. So we're supposed to keep on giving, but think about it. If you take that wheat and you take all of those little seeds there at the top and they fall right here, they regenerate right here. But if a storm comes, Anybody paying attention? If a storm comes and the wind blows really hard, it scatters that seed all over the field so that it don't just reproduce right here. It reproduces everywhere. God was using Saul way before he ever became Paul. He was just using him different because he took God's children and he scattered them all over the place. And what we find is that the Word of God is growing faster than it ever could have because of the persecution. We're Christians. God's supposed to protect us. Nothing's ever supposed to hurt us. No harm can ever come our way, right? Wrong. Wrong. Sometimes the storms to teach us, shape us, mold us, make us, change us. Sometimes it's just to scatter out so that we might get out and go tell somebody somewhere else about what Jesus did for us. That's what happens here in the text with the gospel. Jesus just spreads everybody out, and God just does something amazing with the church. He spreads out his people. Now, in verse number 5, we see this man by the name of Philip. And Philip went down and he preached Christ, but it's important to look at who he's preaching to. Let me just put a little thought in your head before we go on. Anybody got anybody you don't particularly like? You don't have to raise your hands. I mean, we're in a Baptist church and everything. But um, maybe somebody you don't particularly care for. Anybody, God forgive me for standing on your podium and even saying it, anybody ever thought, well, if they went to hell, they'd serve them right? I assure you, if I went to hell, it'd serve me right. If God sent me to hell today, he'd be right in doing so. 
It's God's grace, and God's grace was good enough for me. It's good enough for anybody. But there's some people we just don't particularly like. Some people maybe rubbed you wrong, talked about you. Maybe, maybe you ain't liked them for a long time. Maybe it's something happened years back. I'm just kind of putting that because this is a big deal right here that Philip goes and he begins to teach the Samaritans because the Jews don't like the Samaritans. And the Samaritans don't like the Jews. Anybody ever studied why? Anybody ever wonder why you have the Hatfields and McCoys right here in the Bible? That this feud that just goes on and on. Even the woman at the well in John chapter 4 was amazed. Then saith the woman Samaria to him, How is it that thou being a Jew, ask a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Why, why do they despise each other so much? Yet God sends one of his. You better pay attention if you think God's calling you somewhere. I'll go ahead and tell you God's putting you in the ministry somewhere, even if it's in your workplace. But he sent him to the Samaritans. To the people that the Jews dislike the most. The region sat there in Palestine. It separated Galilee from Judea. And, and it sat in the middle of the two cities. And you had the Jordan River running alongside of it. The Jews hated the Samaritans so bad that if they needed to travel from one city to the other, they would cross over the Jordan, travel up the east side, and then cross back over the Jordan just to keep from going through Samaria. That's what I call not liking somebody, what do you think? So why is this bitterness so strong? What is this, this natural hatred that comes between the two of them well you got to go to the old testament to get that stuff if you look back in first kings chapter 12 the nation of israel was split solomon has died rehoboam now plans to take his father's place and he's going to rule the kingdom and he calls him in and he talks and jeroboam has been running from solomon all those years and now he's come back so there's a little bit of the story building up but in first kings chapter 12 verse number six it says that king rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before solomon his father while he yet lived and said how do you advise that i may answer this people they spake and said to him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and wilt serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the old men which they had given him and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him and which stood before him. Verse number 9, he said unto them, What counsel give you that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Make the yoke which thy father did put upon us lighter. The young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thou shalt speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but, my, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now, whereas my father did lay you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. So ten of the tribes of Israel, led by Jeroboam, said, that's not happening. We're just going to dispatch. We're just going to separate ourselves. So they left, and they became the northern kingdom, and Samaria became their capital city. Now you had Rehoboam. He still has Jerusalem and Judea. So you no longer have the family. You have this split. You have this separation. Well, it all starts in 772 B.C. when you have the Assyrians that came and they conquered the northern kingdom. And they took most of them and they carried them away. 
Some of the Jews stayed there, and other people came and began to fill the land of Samaria. Non-Jews began to move in, and so the Jews that were still there began to marry within, and so you had this mixed breed of people living around the Jews there, and the Jews didn't like it. I'm not making this stuff up. You can read it, 2 Kings chapter 16, verse, uh, chapter 16 and 17. I just don't have time to read the whole Bible to you. I'm just telling you what created this bitter dislike. Now, nearly 140 years later, Nebuchadnezzar comes from Babylon, brings his people, and they destroyed Jerusalem. They burned down the city. They burned down the walls. They, they burned down the temple. Y'all know that's where we get the story, right? We studied it not too long back. We're in the book of Daniel. Those of you here on Wednesday nights, it might have been Sunday night, we went some through the book of Daniel looking back at that process. And, and so you have Nebuchadnezzar that burned down Jerusalem. Seventy years after captivity, the Persians begin to let some of them go back to the city of Jerusalem. That's where we get Ezra and Nehemiah, right? Everybody keeping up. This is Sunday night. Y'all know I'm, we fast forward and y'all good with that. So that's where we get the stories from Ezra and Nehemiah. So as the Jews begin to return and they begin to rebuild the wall, and Ezra come by at first and rebuilding the temple, some of the ones, especially those of Jewish descent, they wanted to help, but they were forbidden to. Oh, no, uh-uh. You, you've been over there doing all that, and y'all just passed. No, you're, you're not coming in. So they created this division. So therefore, those of Samaria, they begin to try to taunt the Jews. And they begin to try to put fear in the heart of the Jews and keep them from rebuilding the city. So you have this bitter hatred. So they don't particularly care for each other, understand? There becomes this bitter dislike between them that's why the samaritan woman said to jesus why are you having anything to do with me why are you talking to me why would you ask me for a drink of water you're a jew I, I, i'm a samaritan you don't like me and i don't like you the jews ain't never had nothing to do with this why would you ask me well jesus was teaching them something that's why when the woman, after she was so surprised by Jesus' response, that she went back and she told all the people about Jesus. And I believe for the first time in decades, the Samaritans realized that God loves them too. The love of God is enough for everybody, and they learned that through Jesus Christ. Well, here in our text, Philip went to the Samaritans, and he carried the same message that jesus carried jesus is enough for you jesus loves you jesus died for you jesus is offering salvation unto you that the blood of jesus is not just for the jew that was old testament stuff the blood of jesus is sufficient for everybody he went out on the streets and he preached the gospel of the lord jesus christ and the people loved it Back there in the text, verse number 6, it says, The people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, um, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Here in the text, we, we can see that to Jesus, everybody is important. It's not about nationality. It's not about color. It's not about sex. It's not about what language you speak. It's all about Jesus. Jesus loves me. This I know. 
for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. Y'all know the song? They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The last one for the Bible tells me so. That's not a white, blue-collar, American song. That is a worldwide slogan. Jesus loves me. The love of Christ is enough for everybody. Amen? You and I are out there trying to preach the love of Christ. But yet there's people out there seeking personal glory. Can I tell you that everybody's not in it for Jesus? Everybody's not in it to see the lost come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. So let me put people out there seeking personal glory. If we look here at the next verse, it says in verse number 9, there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom in verse 10 they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. Simon was a magician. Simon did things to fool the people, deceive the people. Y'all, y'all been, um, what's that new, that oriental guy? Shen Lim? Y'all seen that guy? What was that, where did we see that? American Idol? America's Got Talent? Yeah, that dude. You've seen him. What is up with that dude, man? Y'all, y'all gonna go home and put him up. Shen Lim. Y'all gonna go home and pull up. I know y'all, you can pull up some YouTubes on him. Guy's amazing. He does card tricks that I'm about ready to write him off because I'm pretty sure he's got demonic spirits. I'm pretty sure he's got demonic powers. He sets these two ladies at the table to do a card trick, and he, and he does his hand, and there's a deck of cards out of nowhere. And he puts it down, he pulls one, he has to pick a card, and then he goes like this, and he has a pen in his hand. And, and he hands it to her, and she writes her name, and he takes it, and he's got on short sleeves, so it ain't right here. And he says, and the pen's gone. Man, how's that joker do that stuff? I've, I've watched him close now. It got to bother me enough. I've watched three or four of his YouTube videos of where he was on shows and stuff, and I can't even put him in slow motion and see what he's doing. Stuff just vanishes, I'm telling you. I'm about to decide he's got demonic spirits. He, he makes stuff come and go. Well, that's what Simon is. He, he's a magician, but he's deceiving the people. He, he's creating things to get the people to follow him so much so that they call him the great power of God. Well, I wonder how flattering that must have been. Here you are in Samaria. You're the great power of God, and everybody's trusting in you, and everybody thinks you're this awesome man, and all of a sudden Philip comes up. Just slowly, meek, and humble, says, it's all about Jesus. It ain't about you. It ain't about none of that stuff. It's all about Jesus. Simon heard the truth. The Bible says in verse number 13 that Simon himself believed also. And Simon himself also was baptized. But what really seems to have caught Simon's eye wasn't as much the salvation as it was the miracles. He wanted to know, how are they doing that? He's a magician. He's used to deceiving people. He's just not used to being deceived. But what he don't know is it's not deception. It's just the power of God. Amen. So he wants to know, how do you do those things? How do you perform those miracles? Well, as Philip's progress reached back to Jerusalem, we find that Peter and John set out to come and help 
established the work there. And when they got there, they began laying their hands on people. And they began seeing great and mighty miracles. And Simon wanted some of that stuff. So he offered them money. It's there in verse number 18. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands of the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee. Because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered and said, Pray ye the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Simon wasn't interested in helping people. Simon was interested in, in self. He, he wasn't interested in being religious. He was only interested in having the religion so he could have the personal use. He wanted the power. He wanted to be able to do the things. It's no, he's no different than the Pharisees. John chapter 12, verse number 43, it says that they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Well, there's a lot of Simons alive and well today. If you live long enough and you hang around people long enough their true colors will come out you, you stay around them long enough you may only see them at church on sunday but sooner or later you'll run into them in town or you'll see them somewhere you hang around long enough true colors will come out people can change but people got to want to change you you, you got to want something different if you want to change we can only hope that simon changed he told peter no pray for me Pray for me that none of that comes upon me. You pray for me. So we can only hope that, that Simon changed, but really that's kind of a said and done deal. This is all about you and I. There's a lot of Simons alive and well today. There's a lot of Simons come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. It's okay to say amen. It's all getting awful quiet. In the case of Simon, the message of Jesus genuinely touched him. We see that in chapter 13, or in verse number 13. It genuinely touched him I, I believe he truly was saved i believe that he believed that part of it but there's a whole lot of people today that they hear that part and especially hear the gospel for the first time they hear that they finally understand that they are a sinner they are lost they want to be saved they don't want to go to hell so they say a prayer and they get saved but they don't really get the whole picture they get the part about savior I understand the part, thank you, Jesus. They get the part about Savior. That means now I don't have to go to hell because of what my Savior, but they're missing the part about Lord. He is Lord and Savior. That means He is Lord of your life. That means all things, all things pass away. Behold, all things become new. That means that we surrender everything to Him. Simon was caught up in his old way here. He was, he was thinking back. See, church Simons, they're, they're not really any different. They're not even that hard to spot in a lot of cases because they're Christian Simon in here. But they're still the same old Simon when they go outside those doors. They're still the same old Simon when they're out there on the street. They're still the same old Simon on Friday and Saturday nights going to the places that they ought not be. Amen? The fact is there's a little bit of Simon in all of us. It's just called the flesh. It's that old nature that still lives in there, and it's a battle. It may not be a battle for y'all, but it's a battle. You, I asked you earlier, and some of you chuckled 
that there's some people that you just may not care for. That's the flesh. That's the flesh. I'm supposed to love people. I would hate to think that there might be some people that Jesus just didn't care for. Because I might have been one of them. I might have been the one that got left out. I, I assure you, I know me as a little boy, I wouldn't have liked me either. There's a lot of Simon in all of us. The best way to overcome the Simon that is within us is to keep our motives pure. To make everything about Jesus. Nothing's about you. Nothing except salvation. Nothing except the blood of Jesus. It's only by grace are we saved. Through the blood of Jesus, through the power of God, through the love and the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philip's ministry here in Samaria is a huge success. Not only does it deliver the gospel there to the Samaritans, but it begins this healing process between the nations. And now you have the other Jews. You have the apostles coming into this place called Samaria. Sometimes what God tells you to do may not make sense. Sometimes the place that God tells you to go may not be one of the places you had on your bucket list. It might just be over in a homeless district. It, it might be in a homeless section in downtown Atlanta. It might be in a third world country. I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It may be in your next door neighbor's house. But God's got something for every one of us to do. There is a nation called Samaria that God loved dearly. So much so that Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross so that they could go to heaven. And if somebody hadn't been obedient to the call of God, they would have never heard the gospel. So sometimes what Jesus gives you and what God gives you and I to do may not have been on our to-do list may not be right up at the top head of exactly what we wanted to do, but it's what God told us to do. And if it's what God commanded us to do, then God will use it. God will do great things through it. Now, Lord willing, I told you all I wanted to cut this in half, and I want to cut it right there because from there, God's not through with Philip. I want to go on and I want to pick up with the part where he sends him down south, and, and he meets the Ethiopian, the, the eunuch. And he begins to help him as he's reading from the prophet Isaiah and studying the scriptures. And Lord willing, next Sunday night, I'm going to pick up there and we're going to look at yet another part of Philip's life and how God used him there. But to be honest, the reason I've been looking in the book of Acts and studying in the book of Acts is because it ought to be an incredible encouragement to you and I. Our goal, I've told you, our goal is to be like Jesus Christ. Oh, I'll just speak for self and leave y'all out of it, but I got a long way to go. Not going to happen on this side of heaven. But I'm, I'm going to try to do my best every day. And I'm going to keep asking for grace and mercy and forgiveness and get up and let the Lord keep dusting me off and saying, it's okay, and, and send me another direction. Keep giving me things to do. I'm just going to keep on trying to serve Him. I'm going to keep on coming back when I mess up, and I'm going to keep on trying to turn away from sin and repent and leave that stuff out and be what God wants me to, wants me to be. But what I see here in the Acts of the Apostles is some incredible men just doing what God told them to do. And I see the whole world change. Because of this few people. They, they simply, after Jesus is already ascended, 
they're in the same boat you and I are in. Jesus is no longer with them. They just have a commandment to go preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. They have the same commandment. They're from Matthew 28, 19, and 20. They got the exact same thing that we got, and they're actually going and doing it. They're doing a whole lot more than just Sunday morning, Sunday night services. They're actually living it out there. They're actually going into the Samaritans. They're actually going into the ones that they don't like them and, and vice versa and telling them, hey, put all that aside. Jesus loves you just like he loves me. If we're ever going to be the church, listen, we can pray and ask God to help us be the church that God wants us to be all that we want to, but we've got to be willing to change. We've got to be willing to love people the way God loves people. We gotta, we gotta be praying in sincerity, God, break our hearts for the things that breaks the heart of God. If we're gonna continue to pray, and we are, we are. If we're gonna continue to pray and ask God to give us the heart of Troop County, Georgia, give us the heart of LaGrange with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might turn this town upside down, inside out, with the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're gonna pray and be that, we gotta be willing to let God make some changes within us. Shape some things and mold some things and make us better. I'm pretty sure if I ask you, have you arrived, nobody in here would raise their hand. I'm pretty sure we're all in the same boat that we're all a work in progress. And I thank God that he's still working on me. I'm pretty sure we'd all be in full agreement that we still got some, um, well, let's just say some changes to the good. Some, some rough edges to be knocked off. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But God's still working on us. God still loves us. I'm fixing to run the Holy Spirit right out of the building. Because every one of you is going to do exactly what I don't ever want you to do in here, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Think of the person that you like the absolute least in this world. I hope you can't think of nobody. I hope nobody crosses your mind. Has anybody ever crossed you? Anybody ever stabbed you in the back? Anybody ever done something to make you not like them? Think about them. Who's the person you dislike? I won't say you dislike the most. Who's the person you like the least? That sounds so much more Christian, doesn't it? <laughs> what if God sends you to their house tomorrow? Are you going to go? What if God sends you down there to tell them Jesus loves you and so do I? Are you going to go? Because that's where we got to be. It's isn't about us. Christ loved us in spite of us. And we are tools in the hand of a mighty God. God put this church on a hill to be a light in this community. He didn't put it up here on a hill by accident. He could put us down in the bottom, but he didn't. He put us up here on a hill. We're supposed to be a light to this community. And it's our prayer, God, help us to be that light. Let our light so shine among men that they may see our good works. We don't have any good works except Jesus Christ. Amen. There's nothing good in us. There's none good, no, not one. All we have is Christ. But if we're going to pray, God, help us to turn this town upside down in the name of Jesus Christ, he's going to have to send us in some places that and they're not in your priority list of where you really want to get up and go in the morning. We've got to be willing to go when he says go and be what he says be. Philip, Philip said, you've know, you got to understand, there's nothing really there. I don't get the ridicule, but I can only imagine what Philip got. You're going where? 
You're doing what? You're talking to who? They, they call them dogs. You, you're going to Samaria to talk to those dogs? You're going to go down there with that bunch of no-account heathens? You're going to waste your time telling them about Jesus? I wonder what kind of rebuke he might have taken from the Jews who couldn't stand him when he said, that's where I'm going because that's where Jesus told me to go. Do we have that kind of boldness? Because they do. That's what I see in the Acts of the Apostles. I see a boldness to be whatever God told them to be, whenever God told them to be that. I wonder tonight if we could just, if you go ahead and stand up, could we just come together as a church? Could we all just spend a few minutes in the altar and ask God to help us be that church? It has to start with me. Help me be that church. Help me be that person. Help me be the one that loves absolutely everybody with everything in me. That when, when you ask me who is it that I don't like or somebody that's bothering me, I can't even think of anybody. All I can think of is maybe the one that I know is lost and they need to hear about Jesus and I'd have the boldness to go. Can we just ask God? to give us the strength, to give us the power. We've got to want to change. And that's what the altar is. That's just asking God. That's what prayer is. You don't have to be in an altar to pray. That's what prayer is. That's just you asking God, Lord, I want to change. I want to be better. I want to be more like Jesus. Man, I'll be honest. I just want to be more like 